One, two, one, two, three, four. Hey everybody, Sam Jacobs. Welcome to the Sales Hacker Podcast. We've got a great show for you today. We've got an interview with Ryan's Daily, enterprise sales expert and somebody that really can teach people how to grow and scale your company from an enterprise sales perspective. So we're super excited about it. Before we get there, we want to thank our sponsors. We've got three for the show. First is Outreach. Outreach has been a longtime sponsor of this podcast. We're excited to announce that their annual roadshow series, Unleash Summit Series, is back in person this fall in Austin, Chicago, San Francisco, New York City, and London. This year's theme is the rise of revenue innovators. Join a new cohort of revenue leaders who are transforming the world of buying and selling by arming their sellers with a single unified engagement and intelligence platform. Get more details and save your spot at summit.outreach.io. We're also brought to you by Pavilion. Pavilion is the key to getting more out of your career. Take any one of our over 15 different schools, including Sales Acceleration School for SDRs, Chief Revenue Officer School, Chief Marketing Officer School, and the newly announced Chief Customer Officer School. For whatever your career track is, there's a school for you within Pavilion. Unlock your professional potential at joinpavilion.com. And finally, Blueboard. Cash rewards, they feel like a slap in the face, don't they? That's why you got to check out Blueboard. It's an incredible company. They provide experiential sales incentives and President's Club trips. It's the world's leading experiential sales recognition platform, offering top reps your choice of hand-curated experiences from skydiving to courtside tickets, Michelin-star dining at places like French Laundry to five-star spa escapes. Do you need that that wonderful kind of reeky massage or maybe a deep Swedish tissue massage? You can get that through Blueboard. For President's Club, Blueboard offers individual bucket list trips and luxury home goods from Peloton bikes to swimming with whale sharks in Cabo, yoga retreats in Bali to chasing the Northern Lights. Treat your reps like the rock stars they are after they pick their favorite experience. This is one of the best parts. It's not just that you pick this experience, it's that you get a concierge. So you get a dedicated Blueboard concierge who will plan all of your logistics and itinerary so you don't have to lift a single finger. Check them out, podcast.blueboard.com to get your free demo. Now let's listen to my conversation with Ryan Staley. Hey everybody, it's Sam Jacobs. Welcome to the Sales Hacker Podcast. Today on the show, we've got Ryan Staley. Let me tell you about Ryan. He's the founder and CEO of a consulting company called Whale Boss. In 2000, he had his first success in business as an inside sales rep, selling cutting-edge technology and training to CIOs, CTOs, and VPs of the largest investment banks and brokerages in the world. After two and a half years, he shifted to a complex sales position for a privately held managed services provider that had no customers in Chicago. That's where Ryan's from. Eventually, becoming a multi-year President's Club winner and equity holder. That experience launched Ryan to leadership position in which he was responsible for transforming struggling business unit into the top performing office, creating an enterprise team from scratch and developing a recurring revenue engine. So now he is running Whale Boss. He's an expert on enterprise sales. He's also the Chicago chapter head for Pavilion, which is, uh, as everybody knows, I think at this point, the company that I run. Ryan, we're excited to have you on the show. Welcome to the show. I am pumped, man. As you know, I love Pavilion and I love uh, Sales Hacker. So this is an it's a match awesome made in heaven. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. It's, I'm excited to be on the show. You've had a lot of great guests on. So, well, you're just one one more great guest. So I mentioned Whale Boss, but let's give you an opportunity. Tell us what does Whale Boss do? Give us this business that you run and that you started and run. Sure, man. So uh, basically, uh, the the name is is kind of created or crafted. Because we grew an enterprise team from zero to 30 million in annual reoccurring revenue at my last company when I was kind of tasked to, to create an enterprise sales motion from scratch, everything from the playbooks to the team. And so, how we kind of survived 
due to intense pressure from our CEO and investors was to constantly scale up and continue to bring in whales. So right now, what I do is I help tech startups or you know mature tech companies basically scale and expand their revenue through what I call a revenue sprint, which is a three-month consulting engagement so that they can implement a seven or eight-figure sales system via three different methods that I've kind of coined and that were the first principles behind that revenue growth strategy. So that's what I'm doing right now. I love it. I love working with CEOs. It's so much fun. And um, they like to make uh, they like to make shit happen in, in a really fast manner. And that, that aligns well with me. So yeah, man, that's, that's what I've been doing. How long have you been doing it? So I made the shift. Officially, I've been in business for a year. I made the shift to start working in the more directly with CEOs about six months ago. So yeah. Awesome. Well, I mean, let's dive in because I guess, you know, this is a topic enterprise sales that I think a lot of people are interested in. So first, you know, let's give you an opportunity. What, what are the, is it a three-step motion? Is that what you said? There's basically kind of three different tracks. And, and Sam, the way I look at it, man, is it's like all these tech companies, a lot of these tech companies, I should say not all of them, right? I don't want to speak in absolutes, but the majority of tech companies that you see out there, they're either founded by a technical person that has a large influence or a sales-driven, marketing-driven personality. And a lot of times they're founder-led in terms of sales until they get to a certain point. Now, a lot of the folks I work with are not invested in by VC. I believe that there's a, a massive opportunity in the market to help people grow at an exponential rate without taking on funding. And, and there's a time and a place for funding and it, it works well as well. However, there's a big need because right now, a lot of the folks that I talk to think that that's the only way. And so what I looked at is I'm like, okay, I keep hearing this feedback. There's these tech companies that are focused on the operating system of their software or the operating system of their company via their software, their tech, but they don't have a sales operating system. And so when I look at that, there's three main components. And what I call is it's, it's a whale scale operating system. It's a secondary sales operating system, and it's referrals for revenue operating system. Those are the three main components that allow a company to scale massively in a short period of time as long as they're implemented correctly. So we'll talk about the whale scale system. I'm interested in that one. I mean, I'm interested in all of them, but I guess, you know, the, the, the fundamental question underpinning all of this is so many companies want to quote unquote, move into the enterprise, but don't understand quite what's necessary. So in your opinion, maybe thinking about the whale scale system as one of the examples, what is the, the path and what do you see? What do you think the biggest mistake companies make when they're trying to do enterprise sales? Yeah. So I could start off with that. I'll start off with the mistake first, and then I could kind of talk through the path if that's cool. Does that sound good? Yeah, it sounds great. All right, man. So one of the biggest mistakes that I see is a lot of companies think that they have to go and hire a big chunk of people right off the bat to quote unquote, move up market or move into the enterprise. And so when I went through this process, I had folks and I had to be extremely resourceful because I didn't have a big budget for hiring. And so I had to continually scale up in a reasonable manner without going out and hiring four or five really, really talented, experienced people because the folks I work with had zero experience. And so the method to do that is to basically look at your best customers, right, in terms of size and in terms of profitability. Because let's face it, Sam, if, if they're really big customers, but they take up 90% of your time and the profitability sucks, you don't want 
to replicate those, right? And so what I do is look at that and then really have a design focus and strategy around continuing to expand and multiply your best customers. And when I say best customer, I don't mean your ICP, I mean your top five, your top 10 customers. And if you do that, a lot of times you could double the size of those top customers as long as it's a focused strategy for the company and in your prospecting, customer profiling, and segmentation when you look at different verticals. Now, the biggest mistake that everybody that I see, not everybody, once again, a lot of people make is they try and go all in and develop a whole new team with that, whereas they could gradually jump up market pretty fast by earmarking some of their best reps to invest maybe 30 out of 70% of their focus on those bigger companies and then continue to scale up. And then once it hits a maturity point, you could have a whole dedicated team around that. But what about the sales motion? You know, what is what do people assume is different about the enterprise sales motion? Like, you know, same sort of thing. Like a lot of companies that are moving up market, right? They're SMB, they're mid-market, they're in a much more transactional sale. They're not used to dealing with procurement. They're not used to dealing with InfoSec and with all of the different compliance requirements. What do you think is the mechanism to evolve your sales motion so that you can be effective in replicating your top customers? That's a great question, Sam. I mean, when you're trying to do that, I think it's really, really critical to focus on verticalization when you do that. And, and what I mean by that is, is don't boil the ocean. A lot of times what I see when I'm working with clients is they'll say, yeah, we work with all different verticals. They might have 200 clients or 300 clients or 400 clients. However, 60% of their revenue comes from two verticals, right? So go all in on that and expand on that and um, be really targeted with that. And then a couple of other things, actually, probably the single biggest mistake that I see people make time in and time out when it comes to the actual mechanics of it are when you're looking at basically quantifying the size of the problem. And I know that sounds simple, but... People will go through and they will sales executives will, will meet with people or sales leadership will meet with people and they will basically identify, you know, okay, this is a good candidate. But one of the things when they're doing that is they basically forget to really, really continue to expand. I've kind of lost my tra train of thought here, Sam. So, um, Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Quantifying the size of the problem. There you go. I'm back. Um, <laughs> I blacked maybe out can, for a second. Maybe we can I was like, were you dude, I was, your like, email I, was like or the, I was like Frank the Tank when he gave a speech at old school, <laughs> you know, where he's like, what happened? I just blacked out. And so they'll have these sales processes that are a year, two years long, three years long. I saw one company had a 36 month sales cycle for a million dollar deal, which is insane, right? Insane. That should bad, be right. like, six to, to nine months. And so they don't tangibly quantify the outcome of the problem that they're trying to solve and have that validated by the customer. That's the number one biggest mistake. And what I mean by that is like get the customer to assign a tangible dollar value and a tangible time value to the problem you're going to solve and have that validated up and down the chain. That's the biggest mistake. And your point is that they... If they do do that, it's they're they're undersizing or underscoping the impact, and so maybe that leads to delayed or longer sales cycles because the problem isn't perceived to be important enough. Well, it's just convoluted. It's not clarified, you know. And I'll give you an example of this. Like 
I was working with a, a company the other day and it was a software company, software development company, custom software development. And they basically create solutions for Fortune 500 companies, really custom software so they can implement it fast. And this person is amazing, amazing at building relationships and connecting at an individual level. However, one of the things that they were missing is the solution might be two, $300,000, right? And they get hammered by procurement on pricing. However, the reason for that is because after the fact, once that we, we talked, he went back and identified that that software solution that they created opened up 20 to $40 million in revenue based on a new product offering that they were creating. Now, if you just say, hey, this is great and this is going to grow revenue, that's cool. But if you say, hey, this could potentially grow revenue by 20 to $40 million based on projections that your team did, that totally disarms procurement in terms of saying $300,000 is too much, right? Do you think it's too little in that context? 300000 in this oh, example? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you should be charging way more. <laughs> it, what's so, the rule of thumb on impact to price in your opinion? Yeah, and there's, there's two ways to look at this, Sam. I think you could look at 10x for impact. I mean, that's what I try and do with my customers. If they invest you know, $1,000, I want to give them at least $10,000 back for every dollar. Yep. However, companies have overhead as well. So you could look at revenue or you could look at profit, right? So it's a 10x profit. So that, that's kind of how I look at it either in terms of, of outcomes. What do you do to, if again, you know, thinking about this movement up market, because it's just top of mind for so many different people. Be, mm-hmm. So they, whether it's nine months, whether it's three years or 36 months, it's definitely longer than, you know, a 30 or 60 day mid-market sales cycle. So a company and a CEO and a sales team is moving from a, a period where they get lots of discrete kind of like outcomes. They get a lot of data because mm-hmm. they are either winning the deal or losing the deal on a much more accelerated time frame. But in enterprise sales, you don't actually know whether you're winning or losing for quite a while. So how do you put in a system so that you can figure out that you're tracking towards winning the deal, even if that win is you know six to nine months to 12 months in your future? Yeah, it's a great question. And it was so funny because like when I first started and we were working and trying to build this motion, that was one of the things that came up because the CEO was like, well, we don't have the results yet. And so I'm like, okay, how am I going to convey to him why this is, or how this is successful so far? Cause I knew we were making progress, right? So instead of just looking at the overall outcome from a revenue perspective, we looked at milestones by deal stage, right? So it was a combination of, the overall pipe size, and then the goals in terms of what we were getting. So I guess to answer your question more specifically, that's on the internal side. When you look at it externally from a customer, there's certain benchmarks that you have that you need them to hit at each stage in the cycle. And that's that needs to be tracked from a qualitative and quantitative perspective, very specifically to validate that it's a good opportunity because Sam, if, if you're working big opportunities, reps will die on the vine if they're not qualifying them hard enough because they could just suck the life and time out of you, right? Yeah. So I would say it's it's speed by step in the sales cycle and different benchmarks by stage. And I could go deeper on that if you want to. 
Sure, a little deeper. That would be super helpful because I know people are listening are probably taking some notes. So what's a good example? And by the way, how how many stages is your does it maybe people would assume out there that like oh if it's a 12 month sales cycle that means we have to have you know 15 stages instead of four but my experience is you can still have four stages even if they each take a longer time what do you think yeah so in terms of stages and then i could hit on that first point of what you what you asked but like if you look at stages i think you know obviously there's the initial meeting the first appointment and i think that needs to be qualified with first appointment with a, a decision maker or if you're selling to a company that's like 15 billion in revenue or 3 billion in revenue, the key, key person, like the highest person within reason that you can get to, because you're, you're not always going to get to the CIO of a $3 billion company, right? When you're, when you're selling a deal, depending on the deal size. So first appointment, I think then you go through what I call, it could be a demo if it's a SaaS solution, but I think before the demo, one of the most critical pieces is, is an assessment to really quantify that hard value ROI outcome. And then from there, you can incorporate a demo because then you can provide a customized demo. Then the the fourth stage would be what I call a strategy meeting. So that strategy meeting is validation of outcomes as well as opportunities with potential ROI, more like a high level, basically pencil sell on what you're doing and get verbal confirmation that the solution you put together is designed appropriately. And then the next is proposal stage, negotiation, and close. So a few more stages than kind of what you talked about, but that's kind of how I look at it. Yeah, makes sense. Let me ask you a question. You know, you sort of said, I work with a lot of companies and I try to teach them that they don't need funding. Walk us through that process and what's, is it that you have something against funding or, you know, just give us your your perspective on the, on the market right now, because right now it's flush with capital. Everybody's raising money. Everybody's getting acquired. I've never seen so much, you know, activity in the space that we're both in. So what's your perspective on, on financing and how do you help companies get there without having to sell equity? It's a great question, Sam. And, and why I focus on that, or I think it's an opportunity because kind of the way I look at it is, a lot of the founders are focused on getting funding and getting ready for funding before they've even completely established success. And, you know, when you look at the numbers, it's pretty disturbing. And, and some of this data needs to be updated, but this was taken from TechCrunch earlier. I think it was up to 2010. So it's definitely earlier data, but basically Seed Series A, right? They're or seed, I should say, basically has a failure to exit at 97% of the time. And I was just like, once I saw that, I'm like, oh my God, 97% failure to exit, right? And then you look at, at series A and their failure to exit is like almost 89%. And so, you know, why I, I've been through the other side of the table where I've been in a, through multiple private equity transactions. And when I've seen the investors come in, I've been an equity partner and it's it's been cool. However, it's massively changed the companies that I work for in multiple ways. Like sales comp has gotten destroyed and basically the culture I've seen it destroyed multiple times. So that's been my experience. And then to top it off, I talked to, I actually did a podcast about this. I talked to a CEO who went through a $300 million exit through VC. And he told me the story of the financial engineering that gets put together so that 
there's no downside for the investors, but there's a lot of downside for the CEO. And so what happened, Sam, and this was like really eye-opening, is basically he told me that basically they had $10 million that they put in, that, that VC fund put in. They got $90 million from other investors. They bought the company for $100 million, right? They grew it to close to a $300 million number, exited. And what happened is they, they made that spread off of a $10 million risk. Now, on top of that, they got 15% interest every year. And the founder who started the company got fired. And they threw a party because the CEO that was there lasted three years. And that was the longest any CEO ever lasted. So I heard this and I'm like, okay, I just want to give folks another option that, and like I said, there's cases where funding works out great, right? But I want to give people another option to exist so that they could turn $1 into $10 without needing to get money from other people to do that. And obviously, that that's, yeah, it does. And obviously the other option is getting funding from your customers by selling them products instead of equity. Exactly. You just, you get cash flow from your customers or you could do crowdfunding or there's, there's so many other options, but like, I'm telling you, Sam, the market's brainwashed from people I hear is like, I, we got to get funding. We got to get fun. I'm like, why? I'm like, if you can't turn $1 into $10, how are you going to turn a million into 10 million? It's <laughs> a good question. <laughs> you know what I mean, man? It's just like, what? Now, like, it's different. Like, now, now, granted, there's reasons for funding when, in my opinion, right? When you start to grow and you got you got good revenue and you're like, all right, we're going to pour gas on this, right? There's a lot of invisible unicorns is what they call that have gotten funding later by doing that. And that's a great model as well. However, it's more for the early stage folks that are like, this is the only option I have. And then they convert and they have a boss when the whole reason why they started a business was to not have a boss, right? They wanted to be their own boss. And now they got to answer to investors and then they get fired half the time. It's just, this is mind bending to me. Yeah. I mean, I hear you. I, uh, I didn't want a boss. Now I have a boss, <laughs> but I, I, nobody should worry that, you know, the, the, the story that you just shared, uh, is not, is not what's going to be happening with, uh, with my company. Uh, well, it, it too did. I mean, Sam is a little different. Cause like you grew the RC up to a very healthy level, you know, it was sustained organic growth that you did. I'm talking like people early stage, just throwing money at the problem and expecting it to solve everything. So totally different situation. Yeah, no, you're right. But to the point, you also just got to, terms are real, liquidation preferences are real, you know, and, and, uh, investors are that their job is to make money. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, know, that's true. That their whole purpose is like, how can we protect, uh, you know, when you look at it, comparing venture capital to private equity to any up to a loan from a bank, I mean, all of the shitty stuff, notwithstanding venture capital still is the most generous form. I mean, to the point, right. They're like people writing checks to people with no companies. So, mm -hmm. you yeah. know, it's a pretty optimistic thing to do to, yeah. uh, to write, you know, an, a first time founder, a million dollar check when, uh, you know, there might not even be a product in place. Yeah. Um, Ryan, we're, we're almost at the end of our time together. One thing I wanted to ask you though, you've got this phrase that, that, you know, we were talking be before you have this concept of perfect customer prosperity. Tell me what you mean by that. I like that phrase. Yeah, Matt. So what I, I see as a, a massive opportunity is companies are always worried. A lot of companies are worried. And I got to stop speaking in generalities. So you could you could slap me when we get off the. the That's OK. Uh, I mean, don't you're, you're a little overly <laughs> concerned. Like no, nobody assumes that you're speaking for all mankind. You know, we understand we can place your opinions in context, but I hear you. Yeah. So perfect customer prosperity, Matt. I mean, what that's focused on and that goes deeper into whale scaling 
where companies will have strategic focus on expanding their revenue. However, it goes back to the 80-20 rule to the point where I even have a mug that says 80-20 on it. There's not a design strategy most of the time to accelerate the quantity and size of the customers that produce 80% of the revenue. I mean, Sam, I've never seen anything. It's just absolutely crazy. And I'm like, like that's how we grew the company so fast with only four sales reps. And we've got the 30 million in annual reoccurring revenue in five and a half years with people that never sold before. And it was just, be, you know, not just because of, the, there's a lot of other reasons, but we had no marketing. We had no SDRs. We had, I mean, dude, our processes were like popsicle sticks and duct tape. And it was terrible. <laughs> and so the big reason though, is we kept leveling up those top five customers. So year one, we had $20,000 a month in annual reoccurring revenue. Those were kind of the, the, the area we played in. Then we bumped it up to $75,000 a month. Then it was 150. Then it got to 300. Then it got to 600,000. And that that's kind of what where I think everybody focuses on ICP. And I believe PCP is the way to go because instead of just looking at all your prospects the same, you look at the hyper-valuable ones and have your focus and your energy and your team really laser laser scoped on those and everything that they need. And uh, that's what will create insane growth. And there's a company, have you heard of Palantir before? Of course I've heard of Palantir. <laughs> All right. So they're what? I think I saw they're 1.1 billion in revenue. Yeah, they're massive. And I, and I, I, I saw something that Jason Lemkin put out on it. He did like a, a quick rundown on uh, from Saster, did a quick rundown on that. And one of the things that he said in, in his piece was that 66% of Palantir's $1 billion in revenue was from 20 clients. And one of those like, clients is the government of the United States of America. Let that sink in. Like, <laughs> And then the other thing that was beautiful about this, Sam, is that the size that those, those top customers were growing was at like 33% per year. So their biggest customers just kept compounding growth. And Salesforce is doing a lot on this. Even ServiceNow is as well. But they're leveraging their biggest customers. And they're not just getting those big customers. They keep expanding those big customers year in and year out. And so that's why I think it's a beautiful strategy that you could do even when you're resource constrained, as long as you just have the focus, energy, and time on it. Well, it's a powerful insight because you're right. Everybody's so focused on new logo acquisition that sometimes you forget to tend to the people that you've already acquired. Make sure that they're happy and see if you can expand the relationship. There's 7x cheaper, man. You know what I mean? It's it's seven times cheaper to get an existing customer to spend more with you. And, and that's where the, like, the whole secondary sales system or secondary sales operating system I talk about. People like, this is a big mistake too. And I, I know you're going to, you're going to give me the old hook like they have on the stage, like the old school hook because <laughs> I'm rambling, but uh, I want to squeeze. No, I'm going to play, I'm going to play the, uh, the music that they play at the opera. <laughs> yeah. The wrap the, it up box, yeah, like yeah. a Dave Chappelle. So anyways, dude, they, freaking, like companies will have it 90%, 90% retention rate. And these will be 40,000, 50, hundred thousand dollar deals. Right. And they don't freaking talk to their customers after they sell it to them. These customers say, and I'm like, do you know how many referrals you could systemize by doing that? Like, do you know how much revenue you could expand if you just dropped an existing process, like a second sales process on, on, on your existing customers? And oh, by the way, it's going to increase satisfaction. Oh, by the way, you're going to get more ratings on G2. And oh, by the way, you're going to continually expand and get product development feedback on what works and what doesn't. So 
I'm really passionate about, as you can tell, but it's like, you know, there's low hanging fruit and then there's fruit on the ground. And that's what I consider fruit on the ground. Oh, I love it. But that's interesting. You got to pick up the fruit on the ground or it rots. (laughs) Yeah, man. (laughs) Exactly. You nailed it. There you go. All right, Ryan. The last thing we want to do is hear about some of your influences, people, books, investors, CEOs, people that you think we should know about. If you're tasked with the responsibility of paying it forward and letting us know about people that had a positive impact on your life in any form, and you don't have to have met them, they could be, you know, it could be Tom Hanks or whatever. Who comes to mind? Yeah. So uh, great question, Sam. I love growth, man. It's, it's one of my core human needs and I value it. And once it flipped me on, it's changed my life. So I love the fact that you asked that question. So a great, great book that I read, if you really want to completely transform your thinking, and this book has been recommended by multiple billionaires, it's only 36 pages and it's called U Squared. Have you ever heard of it or read it before? No, I haven't. Yeah, it's only 36 pages and a mentor of mine, a gentleman by the name of Myron Golden, he actually sold he, he he sold three million dollars in a sixty minute speech before, so really really awesome. And he recommended that it's a book you read weekly, and so I've read that book multiple times, only thirty six pages, and it really gets you to stop and think. So it's called U um, squared Y O U or the note. Yeah, Y O U squared. Great. And it's uh, it's a really 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 great book that's super simple. Awesome. Um, but really impactful. Like you just got to stop and let the stuff sink in though. So that's one, I think it's by Price Pritchett, I believe his name is. So that that's someone who I have a lot of respect for. And then, you know, man, like at one of my deepest, darkest points, and, and this is when things were tough in different stages of my career, a mentor of mine who, another mentor of mine basically said, hey, dude, you should check out this personal development event. And I'm like, I didn't even know what personal development was, Sam. I mean, this was like six years ago. I was like, what the hell is personal development? What, what are you talking about? Like a conference, right? And so um, that was Tony Robbins. And I thought, I think his stuff is very, very insightful for that. Yeah. And then someone I respect when you look at from a business, a founder that has bootstrapped to, um, he bootstrapped from zero to a hundred million with ClickFunnels and that's Russell Brunson. And he's built like a cult-like following. So just really different people that are unique that I've gotten a lot of value from over the years that, that seem to give first and, and take second. And I, I love that. Awesome. Ryan, it's been great having you on the show. If folks want to get in touch with you, what's the best way? How can they get in touch with you? Yes. The best way, Sam, is um, I actually put together a special resource. They could contact me on you know ryanstaley.io. Of course, I'm, I'm active on LinkedIn and, and other things as well. That's my website that's got different content. However, I got a resource that aligns well with kind of what we talked about. And basically, it's the top 10 questions needed to unlock any enterprise deal. And so I'll share that. It's just a free resource. It's at www.smbuiltfreedom.com forward slash pod. It's www.smbuiltfreedom.com forward slash pod. And I give that resource to people who listen to my podcast, the Sales and Marketing Built Freedom podcast as well. So free resource could help you. It was taken directly from fortune 100, fortune 5,000, I'm sorry, fortune 100, fortune 500 executives on their exact criteria that they use to evaluate people when they're trying to sell them an enterprise deal. Fantastic. Ryan, thanks so much for being on the show and we'll talk to you on Friday for Friday Fundamentals. Awesome, Sam. Looking forward to it. 
everybody, it's Sam's Corner. Great conversation with Ryan. A couple things just to point out. First of all, everybody wants to move up market. But as Ryan pointed out, when you do it, the number one problem, he said, is that you're not framing the economic impact of the, your solution to your buyer aggressively enough. And you're not getting them to agree to that number and confirm it and up and down the, the chain, the power line and all the people that you're talking to in the course of the sales process, hammering and anchoring on that number. And if you don't do that, if you don't size the problem, then your solution can be stalled. It can be chucked aside because it can't be a priority if they don't understand the economic impact. So make sure that you do that. The other thing that Ryan talked about is just that too many companies don't verticalize. They spray and pray. You know, enterprise means any company over a thousand employees and boom, they're off to the races. <laughs> There's There are thousands and thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions of companies that have more than a thousand or 10,000 employees. So it's not a very useful focusing mechanism. Instead, try to pick your segment. Look at who your best customer is. And Ryan said, it's not just the company that pays you the most. It's the company that is also the most profitable because you could have a company that pays you the most and it's just a huge pain in the ass. And, you know, every day they're hammering help desk or filling out a ticket or calling somebody and just being really, really difficult to, to work with. So it's not just the company that pays you the most. It's probably going to be the company that pays you the most, but also the company that is also a great customer. And then try to mimic and replicate that and try to do it slowly. You don't have to hire 50 people and build an enterprise sales motion in one fell swoop. You can do it over time and gradually, still quickly, but gradually and organically by understanding your existing customers and then mimicking that and going forward from there. And, you know, Brian's point is try to do that. Try to fund your business through, through revenue as opposed to selling equity or debt in your business because once you do that, you have owners and you have bosses and you need to report and it can contort the dynamics of the business. So, you know, not every company needs to raise money right away, especially at the seed stage. There are other paths to creating a great company. You know, my company, Pavilion, we didn't raise money for five years. Uh, we finally raised a round and closed it in April. We raised a $25 million round, but before that we'd been profitable. We had a team of 35 people, all of it funded from our members and our members being happy with the experience that we delivered. And as a consequence, that's how we funded the business. So there are other paths to financing your business and financing your growth. And Ryan's point is maybe consider enterprise sales as one path, but you don't have to boil the ocean, go after it in segments and sequences so that you can do it logically over time. So good conversation. If you're not a part of the Sales Hacker community yet, you're missing out. Any sales professional can join as a member to ask questions, get immediate answers, and share experiences with like-minded B2B sales pros. Jump in and start a discussion with more than 17,000 sales professionals at saleshacker.com. Once again, thanks to our sponsors, Outreach, the world's leading sales engagement platform. Head to outreach.io forward slash on outreach to see how Outreach does Outreach. We're also sponsored by Pavilion. Leaders at every stage can get started at joinpavilion.com to unlock your professional potential. And we're sponsored by Ambition. Every sales leader feels the pressure to predictably close more deals. Take control with Ambition. Go to ambition.com forward slash sales hacker. There's a few other things I'm supposed to say. I'm supposed to say, give us five stars. I will just worry that that ship has sailed. I think we're at 4.5. Somebody gave us fours. But you know, if you could give us a five, we'd appreciate it. And um, if you want to get in touch with me, of course you can email me, sam at joinpavilion.com. I'm happy to help. You need any you need anything? You just let me know. Otherwise, I'll talk to you next time. <laughs>